You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. This morning we're going to start out the service a little bit more uh, different. Um, It's been a heavy week, hasn't it, church? How many of you feel just worn down? And this morning's service really helped with that, didn't it? It's amazing how God knows what we need and when we need it. But I just, our culture right now between what's happening in Afghanistan, what has happened in Haiti, and what's about to happen in New Orleans, we need some divine intervention. But specifically what I want to talk about this morning, real quick, we're just going to have a a time of prayer um, specifically for the situation that is happening in Afghanistan. Um, I have received emails from letters from missionaries who have been on the field in Afghanistan, and what is happening right now is beyond what we could ever imagine or comprehend, that the Taliban is indeed going from house to house with those that they've received lists from who either helped the U.S., but specifically the underground church, and they are taking them away. People are, really aren't sure what's happening or where they're going. They just know that the Taliban's coming in and taking Christians out of their homes and families aren't seeing them again. And so would you just stand with me as we just pray on behalf of Afghanistan as well as specifically the underground church right now in Afghanistan that is, again, going through persecution that is beyond what we could ever imagine or comprehend. Would you bow your heads with me? And just for a moment, before I lead out in prayer, can we just, can you just begin to pray out loud on behalf of Afghanistan? I'm not the church. I'm a part of the church. We are the church. Amen? And so can we just, as the church, just begin to pray out loud can, on behalf of Afghanistan? Would you go ahead and just go ahead and start to lead out in prayer? a couple more seconds, church. Come on. Father, it's moments like these where we struggle to even find what to pray. But God, we ask for first um, that those who don't know you would come to know you. God, we pray for the Taliban. We ask for dreams and visions to appear. We ask for Saul to Paul conversions. 
Father, where it, they, they would, we recognize that we cannot escape you. So, Lord, we ask that that reality would happen with the Taliban, Lord, that they would have dreams of you, that they would see signs and wonders of evidence of you, Lord, where it would become so undeniable, Lord, it would become so undeniable that Jesus is alive and well, Lord that you would just shatter their hearts in the most beautiful way, that you would bring about conviction to the hearts of the Taliban, that you would draw them nearer to you, Lord Jesus. We ask for the persecuted church right now. God, give them strength. Give them wisdom. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would anoint and empower them like never before, that they would have strength to stay steadfast in the faith of Jesus Christ, Lord, that they wouldn't lose hope. And Lord, in the meantime, in regards to us on this side of the world, Lord, would you give us the answers? Help us to, to do whatever it is that you're calling us to do. Help us to intervene in any ways that we can, Lord. Whatever the action step is, that in any way that we can help, Lord, would you give us the answers so that we might intervene? And Lord, we pray for our governing officials to have the same encounter with you. God, that our governing officials that haven't looked to biblical principles, Lord, that they would find wisdom in knowing and seeking you, Lord. We recognize that the answer to this situation is the cross of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we ask for divine intervention. Lord, we ask for those in Haiti. God, that you would restore the land. Absolutely but again, that you would draw the hearts of man to you. And the same goes for New Orleans, Lord. We ask for divine intervention and protection, we ask. In Jesus' precious and holy name. And everybody said? Amen, amen. amen. You can be seated. This morning, we're continuing our series. It's the last week on making disciples. Everybody say, "Ah." Oh the last week. But fear not, we have some missionaries that are going to be joining us throughout the month of September. They're going to be sharing a little bit about their stories. Uh, I encourage you to be here physically in the church. We're going to have to block out some of our live stream feed whenever these missionaries come in because they are doing ministry in closed countries. And so we can't really put their information out there publicly. Incredible ministries, incredible stories. I encourage you to be there. But today I want to give us a baseline, a, a foundation understanding on what is a disciple. It's often a term that we throw around in church with, without really understanding the weight of that title. We'll often be self-proclaimed disciples or we'll refer to one of our brothers or sisters in Christ as a disciple, but what is the definition of a disciple? I'm glad you asked. A disciple is this, the discipleship is the process of devoting oneself to a teacher to learn from and become more like them. For Christians in community, I want to hit a pause button real quick. We addressed this a couple weeks ago, and I want to refresh our minds. There's been this uh, uh, misunderstanding over the past couple years that you can be a Christian, a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, without ever being a part of a community or the body of Christ. Can I tell you that this is a false teaching? There you go. We'll wait. A little bit more, and the coffee will kick in. I get it. But for now... I want to explain, it's kind of like saying that you're a part of a football team and you don't know your team and you never show up to practice and you rarely ever participate in a game. 
It's kind of like that. When we say we're disciples or followers of Christ and we're not a part of a community, that is not a biblical statement. That is not a biblical standard to live by. In order for us to fulfill various biblical commands, we have to be a part of the body of Christ, which requires us to be in community with one another. I want to offer a warning. If you've had that misperception, that misunderstanding that I can be a fully devoted follower of Jesus without ever being a part of a community, can I tell you that you are in a dangerous place? Because the enemy wants to isolate you and pull you away from community because you're easier to attack. And if you are doing that job for the devil, you are a sitting duck. So for the sake of just the fact that I love you and Jesus loves you more than what we could ever imagine, in order for us to fulfill biblical commands, we have to be a part of the body of Christ. Amen? Look to your neighbors and say, I'm married to you. I'm just saying, we are a part of the body of Christ. It is like a covenant of marriage. I'm going to move on before things get awkward. (laughs) For Christians in community, this refers to learning the teachings of Jesus in the scriptures and following his example in obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit. Discipleship not only involves the process of becoming a disciple, please focus in on this but of making other disciples through teaching and evangelism. We've gotten really good at the first part of that, becoming disciples, working on ourselves, entering into more Bible studies where we're participating in all of these things. But one of the areas that we have neglected is on our pursuit to become a disciple, we have neglected to make disciples. A prerequisite to being a disciple is that you are not only becoming a disciple yourself, but that you are making other disciples. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Everybody say salt. The illustrations that we are given in Scripture are on another level. That we often look at scripture and take it at face value and move on. But I'm telling you, when you dig into scripture and you study things such as what did did he mean by salt? What was the role of salt? It'll open your eyes in a new way, I promise you. What is the purpose of of salt? Well, first this, salt flavors. Everybody everybody say flavor. Flavor. Y'all like flavor, right? Oh, come on, we're Americans. All kind of seasonings. Salt stands out. There's something about salt that causes a food. It adds flavor, a zestiness to it. All of those who like steak and beef and meat, I'm, this is anointed. <laughs> Men's meet and greet this Tuesday. Be there. It causes that, to, that flavor to stand out. Is there something about your life that stands out? Is there something about your life that separates you from the world around us? Is your faith a faith worth having? If you and I are salt of the earth, it means that people look at our lives and they say, that person is different. It means that we handle disagreements differently than the world does. 
It means that when somebody offends us, that there's an element of forgiveness that we offer after the offense has been settled. You won't find that in the world. The world will take your track record of something that you did in your childhood and bring it to the present and hold it against you. The church is called to live differently. It means that as we are the salt of the earth, that we handle arguments differently. It it means that as we live our lives, there is something that separates us. Is your faith a faith worth having? Often we get discouraged and we might even look at our children and, and say, you know, why aren't they following my faith? The question is, how have you represented your faith in Jesus? Because if we're living like the world does and we're behaving like the world does and we're using the same perverse language and the same perverse jokes as the world does and our entertainment choices are the same and there's nothing that separates us, we cannot be shocked whenever we say they just won't live according to my faith. Is our faith different? Salt flavors. It separates There's something noticeably different between when you prepare a meal with salt versus without. You are the salt of the earth. Another thing that salt does is salt preserves. The definition of preserve is this, to keep perfect, to protect from injury, peril, or harm. I can't help but notice that there is this kind of intuition in the life of a believer where you feel the need to be a protector. And I believe that that is something that the Holy Spirit motivates in us. Because salt preserves. Salt protects in a way. And so the role that you and I have is almost that of a protector. Jesus says, I've called you to be salt, to preserve, to keep perfect, to protect this world. By bringing the world to the foot of the cross. Salt also heals. Salt is an antiseptic. Our world, and please follow me with how beautiful this illustration is that the Word of God gives us. We're called to be salt. Salt heals. The reality is the world is sick and needs salty saints. Look to your neighbor and say, you're salty. The reality is this, is that all of us, I believe to a degree, have the ability to offer healing to someone. We often look at the spiritual gift of healing and we say, well, I can't walk up to somebody who was lame on a mat and say, get up, take your mat, and I I don't have that gift, pastor. Sometimes that's not the gift that Jesus is asking us to have. Healing comes in many ways. Healing can come through a word of encouragement. You might not be able to take somebody's situation and circumstance away, but you can offer healing in the midst of their situation. It's what you and I are called to do. My wife is far greater at this than I am, but every time I pull up to a drive through window, I am all business, baby. Give me my food, I will drive away fat and happy. That's, that's kind of my memo. But Kylie, I love her for holding me accountable to this. She'll look and say, Go ask them how their day was.
but honey, that's a guy and I'm a guy and there are some lines that you just don't cross. Once that beautiful window has closed and that window's closed, so to go back to that, she'll look at me. All right, baby. And I just, it, it never fails. And I know I've used this illustration before, but the worse that our world gets, it's just so much easier to offer healing when you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Through the simplest things, it's just such low fruit. You know, some fruit, if you're picking apples from an apple tree, some fruit, you need a ladder to get up on, but there's some that's just right there that you can pick it. And it's kind of like that with healing right now. And this, this door opens, and I'm just like, they're going to look at me like I am weird. We've already done the exchange. <sighs> How's your day? <laughs> and this woman stops and looks at me, and she says, do you want the real answer, or do you want the correct answer? I said, I want the real answer. And she began to tell me how they are understaffed right now beyond what we can imagine, for reasons that many of you are nodding your head, you know about this. They are understaffed, they are overworked, she's exhausted, has a family to provide for, and is overwhelmed like I couldn't even imagine. And this little exchange happened, just talking about how I'm so sorry that you're going through that. And just the fact that that little statement, you could see healing happening where she received this encouragement knowing that somebody else cares. And some of you, please understand that I'm not using this as an example to say, pastor got it right. I got it wrong. I was ready to pull away. Sometimes God uses our spouses for our development. And I'm so thankful that my wife called me out on that. Friends, salt offers an element of healing. You have that gift. If you are in love with Jesus and you are bearing the fruit of the Spirit, all he's asking you to do is share the fruit of the Spirit. And as you share the fruit that he's already started to grow in you, healing takes place. Because anything that has to do with Jesus, there's an element of healing there. Come on, somebody. Salty saints. Another role of salt is salt does this. Salt permeates. It gets into everything that you put it on. It soaks in. It absorbs. And I want to be clear this morning. Jesus didn't say that we are the salt of the church. He said we are the salt of the which means that you and I are called to permeate our culture, to get into our neighborhoods, to get into our workplaces, not separate and run away hiding. That's what cowards do. God has given you a gift and it's called boldness and the Holy Spirit empowers that in us. God is calling the saints for such a time as this to be salt, not salt of the church, but salt of the earth. And we often think that if we will attend enough Bible studies, and those are good things, and if we attend enough church services, and those are good things, that we are fulfilling the biblical mandate to be salt. Can, can I tell you that that is scratching the surface? Salt of the earth. Don't become like the culture. 
full of fear and anxiety. And it's really tempting right now, isn't it, church? It's really tempting to allow that fear to say, oh my goodness, and become overwhelmed and consumed by it, but that's not the way that we were designed. God says, you stay close to me, bear fruit, and be salt of the earth. We need to get into our communities. We need to get into our schools. We need to get into our neighborhoods. And if we have any hope to see our culture turned around, then we're going to need to become salty. What does it mean to be salt of the earth? What does it mean to be a disciple? I would like to continue to provide a definition for what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is salty. We just covered that. But it also means this. It means that we are lifelong learners. Everybody say learners. We are lifelong learners. A part of being a disciple is embracing the identity of a biblical learner means that we have a hunger to learn, not as a burden. For those of you who have hobbies in here, you know what it's like to share information and learn about something without it being a burden. For example, when you start talking to somebody who loves, oh, I don't know, I'll just pick a random thing, hunting. I love hunting. When you meet somebody who loves the outdoors and they have a passion for fishing or hunting, it's not a burden for them to learn more about hunting. They do it gladly. There are Facebook forums where I could prove this. It's guys who just share all of these tips and they talk about the best way to find the greatest fishing spot or hunting spot and they go into all of these details of years and years, maybe even decades of information that they have acquired through this lifelong learning process where they learn about the outdoors. You talk about people who are your car people and they don't, they don't have a burden to tell you how they got more horsepower out of their car. They're excited. As a matter of fact, they show up to a party hoping somebody will ask them. Somebody will be like, how's your day? It's pretty good because I have a fast car. <laughs> and they slip little things into the conversation. Why? Because it's not a burden for them to share and to teach. It's not a burden for them to acquire more knowledge. Do you see where I'm going with this? Being a lifelong learner of Jesus isn't a burden. It's something that permeates our lives, that just comes out of us, that we're hoping somebody asks. How was your day? Pretty good, because I love Jesus. Yeah. And I'm not saying being overbearing and beating somebody in the face with a Bible. But I am saying that if it's a natural part of us, it was intended to naturally come out of us, not as a burden, not to say, oh, Lord, I have to discover more about you, but to understand that there's an element of this being a privilege. Part of being a disciple is embracing the identity of a biblical learner. Can I tell you, it is a thrilling, incredible experience to learn more about and learn more from Jesus. Just when you think he can't get any better, he does. Just when you think he can't intervene in a situation, he does. And it's this incredible process of learning 
where we grow closer with him. It just kind of happens. When you and I have hobbies that we can relate to other people with because they share the same hobby, it's not a burden. I want to challenge us to allow this lifelong pursuit of learning more about Jesus to come naturally, never as a burden. Amen, church? With Scripture, it's even better to know more about Jesus than a hobby. Amen? Because it's more applicable than any hobby that you could ever imagine because it's what defines our lives. It's who we are, lifelong learners. If you're a lifelong learner, it also means this, that you're teachable. Come on, somebody. It means that you're willing to submit to authority. Teachable means that you receive correction well. We often want position, but we don't want correction. We often want God to give us the fruit, but we don't want to go through the growing process. Receiving correction is very much so a part of being a disciple, and I'm going to get to Peter in a minute. But it's a part of who we are called to be. If you and I hope to be a disciple of Christ, it means that we do not carry pride on our shoulders. And right now, this is, this is countercultural. Can I hear an amen with that? Culture says to be the best you, that you are self-sufficient and you are self-sustained, and that is a lie because I can't even find my way around town without using Google Maps. How am I supposed to find myself around life on my own? If you and I are going to be disciples, it requires that we are teachable. We often want position, but we don't want correction from the pastor or ministry leader or spiritual mentor in our lives. After all, there's nothing to correct with me, Lord, right? Because I'm Christ's favorite. Some of the spouses are looking at one another. I'm going to stay out of that. Teachable means that you're willing to be vulnerable. Have you ever been afraid to ask a question because you're afraid that you're going to come across as stupid? Come on, let's be real. Raise your hands. I'm feeling really alone right now, church. If we're going to be teachable, it means that we're vulnerable. It means that we're willing to to do things and and ask questions that could make us look like, God forbid, we don't know something. It takes vulnerability to learn something new. It means that you're willing to test something out and risk looking foolish for a moment. But it's worth it because you gain more understanding of Jesus and therefore draw nearer to the Lord and bring others into fellowship with him. The best example of being teachable and vulnerable and willing to look foolish that I can find in Scripture is Peter. Peter has a lot of ups and downs, but you got to give him credit for trying, right? Just a brief history overview of Peter's vulnerable moments. It was Peter who left the boat to walk on water to Jesus in Matthew chapter 14 and promptly took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. It was Peter who took Jesus aside to rebuke the Son of God for speaking his death in Matthew chapter 16 and was swiftly corrected by the Lord. It was Peter who suggested eradicating three tabernacles to honor Moses, Elijah, and Jesus in Matthew chapter 17 and fell to the ground in fearful silence at God's glory. 
It was Peter who drew his sword and attacked the servant of the high priest. John chapter 18, and was immediately told to sheath his weapon. It was Peter who boasted that he would never forsake the Lord, even if everyone else did, and later denied Jesus, the Son of God, three times, even though he knew the Lord intimately. But Peter was teachable. Peter was willing to receive correction. It's evident in his character. Because just like Peter had these downfalls, this is, this is also what Peter was known for. It was Peter that Christ welcomed back time and time again. It was Peter that would be taught in such a way that Jesus would name him the rock. Come on, somebody. When you go from coward to rock, that is a redemption moment. It was Peter that Jesus called into full-time ministry. It was Peter that was one of the ones that Jesus called by name to hear of his resurrection. It was Peter that was one of the main speakers on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. It was Peter that would be used to heal a lame beggar in Acts chapter 3. It was Peter that would be used to preach to the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4. It was Peter that would be used time and time and time again to lay hands on many different people groups to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and they did receive. It was Peter that was used to lay the groundwork of the New Testament church. Why Peter? Because he was teachable. If you and I want to be effective, if you and I want to walk in all that God has for us, we have to be teachable. Why Peter? Because he was teachable. Peter had a desire to learn more about Jesus and the gift that he gives. Peter received correction and Peter experienced vulnerability. And we must be willing to do the same. Christ sent forth his disciples to be salt of the earth by their lives and their doctrines. Being a teachable disciple, I want to say this, please hear me. Being a teachable disciple will get you further than any talent ever could. Some of us fall into this misunderstanding that we can rely on our talents to achieve things that God is calling us to. Although God anoints talent, it's more about God teaching us. Do you want to be used by God? It's a fair question. Do, is this something that you want in your life? A life of adventure, a life of risk-taking, a life of stepping out and going against the flow of culture? Is this something that you truly want? And if it's something that you truly one, if you want to remain the salt of the earth, you must be teachable. Everybody say teachable. teachable. Which requires us to be lifelong learners, willing to look foolish. Discipleship must always progress from study to practice. I want to say that again. If you and I are all in and we're ready for this, we're like, God, I'm ready to be your disciple, I'm ready for this adventure, then it requires us to move from study to practice. 
Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20 says this, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus calls these men into action just like he's calling you and I. He says, therefore, go, make, and teach. Go, make, and teach. Jesus is clear. He didn't say, go, study up, and stay until you're comfortable. He just said, go, make, teach everything that we have been doing together, the ministry, the friendship, the bond. Jesus says, keep on doing it. Jesus taught to put into practice that in which we study. But church, we have an awful habit in America of stopping at the studying and never moving beyond that. Well, pastor, I just need to know, I need another Bible study. I need another Bible study. Those are good things, but I am a firm believer that some of us, the last thing that we need is another study. The first thing that we need is to go on a missions trip. I love the way that a pastor, Francis Chan, puts it, and I'm going to ask if we can show this video. Pastor Francis Chan saying, moving from study to practice. Go ahead. When I was a kid, we used to play this game called Simon Says. All right, most of us have played that, unless you're really young, because there's no app for it. it, it Simon Says is, uh, you know, you just, Simon Says, pat your head, you know, so, okay, you know, Simon said it. Um, it's just, it was a very simple game, but it's so weird how in the church, Jesus Says is a totally different game. If Jesus says something, you don't have to do it, you just have to memorize it. You, 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 you study it, you memorize You guys, it, it doesn't make any sense. A lot of the things we do, when he tells us to go out and make disciples, and how many people in the, our churches are actually making disciples? They memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, hey, hey Rach, go clean your room. She doesn't come back to me two hours later and go, I memorized what you said. <laughs> you said, Rach, go clean your room. <laughs> I can say it in Greek. <laughs> my friends are going to come over and we're going to have a study on what it would look like if I cleaned my room. <laughs> she knows better than that. And so why do we think we're going to come before the judge one day and quote everything that he said and talk about how much we know. It's just, it's just this black and white stuff. If I just started with scripture, I'd go, here's what I would do. I would start making disciples. Worship team, you can come. The point is this. Responsibility of a disciple is to embrace the identity of a maker. A producer not just a consumer. And we live in a consumer-driven culture. We are discovering new ways to sit down and do nothing. 
It's estimated that thanks to our digital age, the average person will see six to 10,000 advertisements a day. I'm standing at the gas pump the other day and I hear somebody talking to me and I'm looking around and I realize that the gas pump is advertising to me. We're surrounded by advertisements that drive the message, consume, 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 consume. You've earned it. In 2018, U.S. homes spent $28.2 billion on home entertainment alone. The message of you need more is promoted at such a heightened rate that psychologists right now are baffled and they are unsure at what the repercussions of this will entail in the years to come. When you tell an entire culture that you need more, you've earned it, your goal in life is to consume, psychologists are saying in the years to come, we are... We are in for it. We're taught to participate in mindless entertainment daily that adds no value to our lives, certainly no spiritual value. Now, please understand, I'm not telling everybody here to go home and throw away your flat screens. But I am telling us that a conversation that we need to have, and it's a conversation that we have about alcohol, but nothing else, is the topic of moderation. We're taught to participate in mindless entertainment, catching up on the latest TV shows and reality series and spending hours and hours to the point to where the the phrase binge watching is now a thing. But then there's Jesus, and he didn't understand advertisement. He didn't understand good marketing. Because if Jesus did, he would have told the disciples, stay, learn, relax. But then you have Jesus who comes along and he says, therefore, go make teach, tell. Discipleship means that we are the salt of the earth. And that means that we are going out into the world around us as salt and making other disciples. I love the way that Pastor Francis Chan ended that video. Why do we think that we will someday come before the throne of God and quote everything that we know and believe that that will be sufficient. We're called into action. And in the months to come, this is something that we are posturing our church to be obedient to, this call to do more. Currently in communication with setting up outreaches and meeting needs, absolutely currently trying to organize for wintertime. We discussed this a couple weeks ago, house church, because having church service in our homes is a biblical thing. We know how to reach people in church, but we have no idea how to lead people to Christ in our living rooms, and that's a fundamental problem. 
To give you an example of this, the church in Afghanistan understands more about house church, and that is why the church is surviving in Afghanistan. But that is why we will not survive in America if we believe that this is sufficient enough. But this morning, one of the things that I wanted to do is give us an opportunity of getting in the habit of doing. Something that we hold on to the most in our lives is, as Christians in America, is our finances. And I understand there's been abuse by tele-evangelists and all of that. I want to acknowledge that and say that that behavior is unacceptable and we don't participate in that here. But God says go. And there's an element of giving that's required of us. For some reason, we acknowledge that God wants us to give our time. God wants us to give our talents that he's given us, by the way. God wants us to give ourselves, but for some reason, when it comes to the area of finances, we say, (laughs) he's not interested in that. And I also want to thank you for tithing here at the church because of your faithfulness in tithing. What we do here on a weekly basis is a result of those who faithfully tithe. Ten people baptized, and for those of you who are there, incredible testimonies, right? Can we just give God some glory over that? I just have to kind of chuckle, and I can pick on her because she's not here today. Heather, short, petite, little, blonde woman. Looks like she'll bake you a pie. And the first thing out of her mouth is I used to practice in the occult. But God saved me. Come on, somebody. But he saved me. We're seeing lives changed here because of what God is doing. God is impacting our kids. We're seeing kids come to know Christ. We're seeing families turn around. And there's so much involved in this and his faithfulness. But a part of it is also the fact that we are obedient to give our time, our talents, our finances. And so this week you should have received a tithe. And I'm going to ask our media team to go ahead and play those videos in just one second. There's something, there's a program through the Assemblies of God, our denomination titled Convoy of Hope. Convoy of Hope is one of the most underrated resources you will ever see. I know that they don't get a lot of airtime on main news outlets, but anytime a disaster hits, Convoy of Hope is the first on the scene. They beat out everybody. They are the first on the scene with food, water, and the gospel message. And we're going to give an opportunity this morning that if you feel so inclined, I am not trying to guilt somebody into this. This is between you and God. If you feel that God is compelling you to give to this cause, we want to give you an opportunity. But can I tell you that a part of being a disciple is giving? Can I hear an amen on that? A part of being a disciple is This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.